Welcome to our first employment podcast, People Talk. We are really excited about our new podcast series. We're going to be taking you beyond employment law into perspectives on the full range of people topics. I'm Karen Bates. I head up the team here at Fatansty, the employment team. We're really passionate about helping our clients think about the best way to achieve productive, effective workplaces where employees really feel engaged and give their best. And so that is precisely what we're going to talk about today in our first podcast. Just a little bit about us before we begin, in case you don't know us. Fertansi have a very large, very busy employment team. We cover the full range of employment law support from defending litigation through to advising on all the type of employment projects you might ask us to handle, all the employment aspects on acquisition or sale of a business, which keeps us very busy, pay and reward, including equal pay, inclusion and management development training and board level advice on people issues. So that's just a little bit about us. but. More importantly, I'm delighted to introduce you to Jessica Brannigan. Jessica is a lead people scientist for Europe, Middle East and Africa at CultureAmp. CultureAmp is a market-leading employee experience platform. A bit about Jess herself. So Jess has a BSc in psychology and an MSc in organisational psychology. And she puts this to good use for CultureAmp to help business clients understand what survey statistics are telling them about their workforce and how to improve workplace culture. So I'm really looking forward to talking to Jess today about employee engagement and the insights that we can gain from her. We're also joined by Charlie Maples. Charlie is a senior employment lawyer. She's a managing associate within our team here at Fertansity. She has a wealth of experience advising clients, predominantly in the retail and consumer sector. So we'll be drawing together some of the legal aspects of employee engagement with the psychology. So, Jess, I wanted to ask you first, really, by talking about what we mean by employee engagement. It means different things to different people, doesn't it? To me, I think about a positive work environment and the impact that that has on how employees feel personally invested in the organisation or the success of the business. But as a psychologist, what would you say the term employee engagement really means? Yeah, thanks, Karen. Definitely. Um, We work with such a wide range of customers globally that when we start talking about engagement, one of the first things we often have to align on is what are we even talking about here? What is engagement? And to me and to Culture Amp generally, we generally sort of talk about engagement being the levels of enthusiasm and connection that employees have with their organisation. So it's a measure of how motivated people are to put in extra effort and also a sign of how committed they are to staying there. The other thing we tend to think of is engagement is an outcome. So it's the product of all the things that we do in an organization. And so it's a useful thing for us to measure and keep an eye on. But if we want it to be better, if we want it to be different, there are other things that we're going to need to measure and move the needle on in order to provide an outcome of strong engagement. Um, Hopefully that gives you some insight to the way that we see it at CultureAmp. Yeah, definitely. And so why would you say it's actually important to measure employee engagement for the business itself. I think one of the key reasons that many organisations will kind of come to us for, but then we'll find that we can kind of work on it over time is in terms of improving key business outcomes. One of the sort of misnomers, especially sort of as a psychologist, people will often think, oh, this all soft, fluffy stuff about making people feel nice. That's great, but kind of so what? Why should we bother? And so we find the key business outcomes can be a really uh, a good place to start there. So there's a wealth of research out there, both our own and in the wider literature around engagement being very strongly correlated to better business performance. 
also enhance safety, improve performance and innovation and things like that. So we did a study a while ago looking at employee feedback from listed companies so that we were able to observe share price growth, essentially. And they'd also been doing engagement surveys with us. So we had their engagement data also. So what we did was we compared their share price growth from January of that year through to December of the first year. And we found that higher engagement was associated with 24.5% higher share price growth versus those lower engagement companies. So when you link those types of measures concurrently, like you're using employee and share price metrics within the same year, it means that we might simply be measuring how people feel about their company's performance. If you've got better share price growth, you feel better about it. So then we wanted to look at, well, what does employee feedback growth in year one tell us about share price growth in the following year? Is the effect larger than just using share price growth alone? And here, when we repeated that study using that kind of question, we found that higher first year engagement scores were actually associated with nearly 17% higher share price growth in the following year. So what we're finding is it's probably not surprising that better performing companies have happier or more engaged people. But what it does tell us is that engagement is a lead indicator of subsequent growth that an organization might experience. And we've done similar studies looking at companies who might be at the smaller end of the spectrum who are looking for funding. And we're finding, again, their higher engagement, higher leadership effectiveness, those sorts of hallmarks that we tend to measure in an engagement survey will generally tend to attract higher funding in the following year rather than the reverse. So it's really important if you want to kind of achieve business metric success. The easiest ones to look at are mostly around profitability and attraction of funding. But there are other reasons also. It enables you to collect feedback at scale. So it empowers organizations to have the right data so that they know what strategies they should be deploying at any given moment in time. So a lot of the organizations we're working with at the moment, they're going through transformation, they're going through restructure, some of them are going through layoffs. And so they really need to get feedback to know where should we be pivoting at any given time, essentially. And then there are a few other areas. It's really around continuous improvement. When companies start working with us, they might think about measuring engagement being around, can we get a good score? What's a good score? (laughs) Really, the measurement is only to the means that we want to make improvement. We want to know how are we doing over time? Have we moved the needle? Where should we focus on next? So it's this whole kind of continuous improvement philosophy. And then the bottom line is employees expect to be heard. And this is one of the simplest ways that you can really open up the floor to employees to give their voice and so that two-way conversation starts to recur. I mean that's fascinating and I I think that connection between business or organisation performance on other metrics and how employees feel you know about how well engaged they are is, is such a crucial point because it's you know something that would be a real driver obviously for the management teams and so on to say this is something we really do want to invest in because we know what the tangible outcomes are. Charlie, from your perspective, you know, what does um, what Jess has said there make you think about in terms of some of the work that you do with clients? I mean, it's really prompted me to think that, I mean, I've seen with some of my clients that have got, say, retail bases nationwide, they are often in a place where they collect a huge amount of data, but doing something actively with it afterwards, they're probably less good on I mean, it's still useful to collect because I've seen that at least collecting regular feedback from employees about the way they feel about certain things in their work environment can give you a heads up. There's a problem here on this site or there's a problem with motivation or turnover or whatever. And it will give you sort of a heads up to try and say, 
we need to look at that in a bit more detail. And I've seen clients that have got several different sites and they have much lower scores on one site. And it just gives them an opportunity to kind of look at what is causing that because it's very different from our other sites. And often it's not that there's a big problem. It's that there's maybe a new manager in there or there's a manager who is focusing only on, say, this set of KPIs over here that's very financial and they're forgetting to bring team members with them, for example. And it can give you a sort of an an early warning sign to get in there and fix it. I've also seen that where you are regularly collecting data about how people feel and you're getting the feedback about things like engagement, it can also be quite helpful in retrospect as well as it being a forward planning measure. So I've had experience of where there's a problem manager, for example, and they're very senior and nobody wants to complain. And then somebody sticks their head above the parapet and says, there's a real problem with this person. They are saying these discriminatory things or they are a bully, for example. And it can be quite difficult when it's one person's word against the other and nobody else wants to stick their head above the parapet. And actually, quite often when you look back at some of those regular feedback surveys that you've had, there can be some form of corroboration within that. Maybe not direct corroboration, but a story that says, actually, there is something wrong there. It at least tells the senior management there is something worth delving into there. This is not one employee whinging about things. There is a problem. So I think it can be really useful in that regard to see where you are having problems with engagement. And and it might be down to one bad apple rather than a a workplace-wide issue. The other thing I'd say is that good businesses I've seen are setting KPIs around meeting things like engagement rather than just financials, because they understand that, as Jess has illuminated there, they are connected. But I think on a very sort of at the coalface level, it doesn't feel like they are. So I think if you just incentivise people towards financials for things like bonuses, they can get quite selfish about the way that they manage. And I think probably trying to balance that out um, in terms of KPIs is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't take that step to understand the culture, you're not getting the full picture, are you? So I mean, we've talked there about measuring employee engagement, but for people listening who think, well, actually, I really, really think we should do that, but I don't really know how to go about it. You know, Jess, what have you seen in terms of good practice for how you would measure this? There's sort of a a broad consensus around the types of things that constitute employee engagement, but the exact questions you should use, you could have debates ad infinitum around. Here at Culture we're model agnostic, so people can use our platform with questions that you might want to bring. But obviously, we have a whole range of psychologists like me, and we've been developing a lot of templates and validating those measures over time statistically. So we do have a way that we measure it, and then we work with organizations to kind of move around that. But broadly, as I, I referenced earlier, engagement is an outcome. So it's a thing that we're measuring to keep track of how well we're doing. And broadly, we try and measure it with a range of questions. So you might have heard, for example, organizations measuring the equivalent of customer net promoter score. They have employee net promoter score. So will they recommend their organization to others? Now, for us, that is one question that we use within a wider range, an index of five questions. So broadly, we would measure engagement in terms of the say, stay, strive model. What do people say about your organization? Firstly, are they proud to work there? And that question on would they recommend it? Stay, how long are they planning to stay with your organisation? So we have a near-term commitment item, which is I rarely think about looking for a job at another organisation. And then a longer-term commitment item, which is I see myself still working here in two years' time. And then that strive item comes in, which is around I feel motivated to go above and beyond by my organisation. 
And so in essence, we're getting a good range of the factors that we know in the research and literature measure engagement. There's no one correct golden way of measuring engagement. We have a way that we have validated and we think is very useful, but we also work with customers to iterate around that. Many have strong perceptions on what they want to measure and also represents who they are as an organization. Yeah, I mean, thinking about what businesses want to measure, I'd be interested to know, what do you see when there's been significant organizational change? So maybe redundancy or a relocation acquisition or disposal of part of the business you know how does that translate when you're looking at employee engagement this has been a really big focus for research for us recently obviously we've got such a range of organizations over 6000 organizations worldwide and they're often running multiple surveys a year so we've got a wealth of data in our data lake from which to kind of answer these important questions so we just did some research looking at the impact of change generally on organizational engagement scores and then specifically we looked at the impact of M&A and the impact of layoffs within that. And what we found is that, of course, that companies that who are going through change score significantly lower than the benchmark. Um, so the sort of external comparisons that we might have for their industry on employee engagement surveys with largest drops in those engagement items, predominantly around motivation, pride and willingness to recommend the organization. So whenever you're going through change, you can expect to see that your overall engagement score will drop and that motivation, willingness to recommend and to sort of stick around with the organization would would tend to drop most significantly. When we looked just at layoffs specifically, we identified a sort of subset of that change group who had been through layoffs and they had done surveys before, then made a layoff and surveys afterwards. And unsurprisingly, what we found was that engagement does take quite a strong hit after layoffs. The thing is, engagement, as I mentioned before, is not something you can directly impact. And if someone doesn't feel proud, that doesn't tell you what you should do about it to make them feel more proud. So we actually looked at then some of the other driver questions within that question set to see, well, which parts of the employee experience are being most hit by a layoff? And what we found here, the question with the largest decline is a question where it's my company is in a position to really succeed over the next three years. So we would call that company confidence. And that drops by 16 percentage points. So you can understand that people's perception of the relative success of their organization in the near term tends to get hit most of all. And that's what's contributing to the overall drop in engagement. What we also found was that it does tend to be quite long lasting. So the impact on engagement, we've had a layoff. Those employees scores don't rebound even over two years you start to see a rebound in engagement scores as the organization perhaps comes back to health and they employ new employees. And that's where you start to see the lift back up in terms of engagement. So it is a big impact, but also I think it's perhaps not surprising. And often from an employment law and HR perspective, we'll be advising on the legal aspects and we'll be advising on the program from the point of view of those employees who are unfortunately going to be affected or, or you know made redundant. And so it is interesting to think about it from the perspective of what does that do in the short, medium, longer term within the organisation as a whole. Charlie, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I was thinking, yeah, it's not surprising that layoffs have really big impact on those that are left behind. And, I, you know, I think HR and management are fully on board with that. It's just, a, you know, you often find yourself in that situation where there are no other choices. But I think what we can take from it is that thinking, well, how could we make it better? If we're in that scenario where we have to make redundancies, 
could we do it in a way that doesn't have as big an impact on the engagement for those that are left? And I think I often deal with clients who are trying to make a small number of redundancies and they they try deliberately to keep the communication about that really limited. So they'll just deal with the people whose jobs are affected or that team from whom they're selecting. Because once people start hearing about redundancies, they'll all feel unsettled. You know, there can be a case for that where it's really, really siloed. I think it's quite naive to take that approach because people will talk. And as soon as a redundancy is in any part of the business, everybody will know about it. And I think there is sometimes a case for thinking, should we be clearer in our communication and put out a much wider piece and discussion, even with those people who are not directly affected by the redundancy, so that everybody who is part of the business can understand the rationale for the really difficult decisions that you're having to make and the plans that you've got going forward. Absolutely. So let's look at what sort of things a business could actually do if you carry out some of this work, look at how employees are feeling and the scores are low. Jess, what are your thoughts, perhaps in terms of things like consultation, employee councils, employee forums? What have you seen in practice in terms of how that makes an impact in how employees feel engaged? Yeah, so in relation to how they can take action where scores are low, there's not always the same depending on how you're measuring it or how you're doing it. But in Culture Amp, we use some analytics which basically looks at which questions are strongest in terms of their correlation to the engagement score. So some things will always move the needle more than other things. So, for example, um, if I asked you whether you like the colour of the walls in your office, it might be a low score, but it might not be the thing that drives engagement in your organisation overall. Likely it's something much more to do with leadership or career and development, for example. So that correlation analysis tells us, oh, the way that people have responded to this item is stronger related to engagement. So if you want to move the needle on engagement, this item is the thing you should focus on. And we have obviously a wide range of benchmarks and insights around that. It tends to be things around leadership and career development um, for the most part. And that can help you zone in on which two or three items from the longer list of questions that we might have asked our employee base are the things that will most matter and most drive engagement in our organisation. And that's the one thing that we tend to give advice on, which is around not having a massive spreadsheet of, you know, 100 things that you could do to change things. Choose one, choose two areas, unpack them deeply and take action on them in a way that can be seen and felt by the organisation. That is far more powerful than trying to do too many things to a lesser extent. I worked with an organisation where access to leadership and leadership vision was scoring quite low. And so they did some specific sessions with leaders talking about the vision and only part of the employee base went to those. And so we were able to then look at how does engagement differ if you went to those sessions versus if you didn't. And therefore, you're kind of able to prove that you see a big green line for those who've been through that kind of intervention. Okay, this works. This is driving up engagement in those key territories. Now let's kind of go and apply that to the rest of the organization. I'm mostly focusing there on the survey part and the action part. And you asked me about employee forums and the like. And we work with a range of organizations. So some of them will have different types of employee forums. Sometimes they'll just be kind of employee resource groups, sometimes more informal groups of employees who are just interested And generally, we would encourage organisations when they're kind of distilling their focus areas, usually at kind of a business or a leadership level, they go and unpack that topic with a group of employees. So you've got the data that says, you know, career development should be better in our organisation, for example. You go and ask them, what does good career development look like here? Then we have kind of a design thinking methodology that we recommend around asking employees, how might we improve career development here? And you're kind of brainstorming for ideas 
And that can be really helpful because whilst in the platform we have suggestions about actions that other organisations have taken that, that have been effective, the process of speaking to employees led by the data can be really helpful in terms of getting a much richer insight. And often your employee base will have really great ideas. That is such good advice to focus on what are the areas that we really want to differentiate on and then to get there in terms of making change, really listening to employees and co-designing it together and having those structures in place where they feel they can really influence the outcome. Charlie, we've obviously seen within our team and the advice that we've given to clients that there's been a really big uptick, I would say, in the last 12, 24 months of that kind of the collective processes being really important. Obviously, there's been a big focus on pay and reward, and that's a big topic for consultation, not something we can cover in this podcast, but we will in a later one. But yeah, interested for a few of your thoughts on those sort of collective consultation processes, really, and how they can work in relation to employee engagement. Workplace councils are really good, can be really useful communication piece in good times and in bad. But you have to think about it at the outset if you want to use it for the bad. And you have to have sensible reps. So maybe think about speaking to us about setting up workplace councils and thinking about things like what the constitution is and how you're going to run elections and that sort of thing. And we'd be happy to help if anybody's interested in that. Brilliant. Thank you, Charlie. So we have got a few minutes left and I wanted to ask you, Jess, maybe we can send people away today feeling motivated to do something on employee engagement and move things forward within their organisation. So it'd be really good to hear from you maybe about a case study where you've really seen a drastic improvement on employee engagement and how that translated to the bottom line. Yeah, sure. So we've got lots of examples and lots of clients that I work with, but I think probably since I'm talking to you, Charlie, in Cornwall today, um, we have a published case study with um, Seasalt, so it's probably quite a nice example for me to draw on. They're one of our sort of retail um, customers working with us on engagement. And in their first survey with us, they had they had already a pretty robust engagement score, comparing quite favourably to benchmark organisations within the retail sector. And they were also able to show linkage to outcomes within that data, showing that stores that have the most engaged teams also had the highly rated managers. We're also seeing a 5 to 10 percentage point increase in sales. So that kind of linkage, that kind of so what piece was quite strong. However, what they did notice was the first time around, some managers are scoring 100% when it came to feedback and recognition, while others were as low as 5% for the same category. And so what they've been able to do is to narrow that gap as managers set and work through kind of specific actions So they've been able to prove that the approach is working over time. They also took quite a lot of action around career opportunities. So they increased their scores there. And when they then subsequently resurveyed, they found they'd achieved meaningful improvements of five percentage points or more on most of those items. So really kind of moving the needle over time, but also looking at those within and across organisational differences. And Oftentimes, we can see organizations spread best practice in that way, where you can see parts of the business getting really high scores in particular areas. You can lift and shift that best practice model, even get those people to kind of share what they're doing to other parts of the organization. So you spread the benefit more widely. Really great to have a practical example there. I think it really gives me some um, thoughts to talk to clients about what more they could be doing in this space. Final bonus question, Jess. Which, just while we've got you here, it would be great to hear from you if you've got any psychologist tips for managing performance, handling tricky discussions. I think it's the thing that we talk to clients most about. And Jess, just finally, while we've got you here, a bit cheeky of me, but I think the thing that we hear most from clients is worries that they have about having difficult performance conversations or other challenging discussions. 
I'd be really interested for any tips that you have from a psychologist's perspective on how we might comfortably have those conversations. Sure, absolutely. Um, I would say that deserves its own podcast, maybe its own podcast series in its own right. Um, But we do work with organisations around performance. We have a suite of performance and development modules focused on kind of continuous growth and also minimising bias in the performance management process. I think the underpinning shift I'd encourage any organisation or individual leader or manager would be to shift from the emphasis only on performance measurement, the backwards looking piece, to performance development. So looking forwards, how can we actually do things differently or get better in the future? What follows from that shift is more emphasis on aligning on expectations. So we recommend to organisations having some kind of goal setting or some kind of clear line in the sand around this is what we expect from you. And we will also be in some way assessing how you've progressed against those goals or those expectations. And that can be supported really well by regular one-to-ones. Talk about the progress against those expectations, but also around other well-rounded facets that would support it. So for example, if someone's well-being is suffering, it's going to have a big impact on their results. So actually having those conversations regularly is going to help them to make shifts or to support the individual in the best way possible. But also the ability to collect feedback regularly and shared frequently throughout the year, not waiting until, you know, it's the annual review, let's sit down and try and remember what you did for the last 12 months. But also if it's just feedback from the manager perspective, that's very narrow. And we know now uh, we often don't see what our team are doing day to day. And there are other people who work more closely with them. So if we can get more well-rounded feedback, it's just such a rich basis for a conversation, feedback that's collected from multi-party and over the period of time that we're looking at, not just once a year or twice a year. The basis of that conversation is so much more strong in that you're relating back to how people are doing things using real specific examples and you're also assessing them against some expectations. It really, what it all boils down to is clarity and regular conversations. I think that can put people in such a strong position not only from a legal perspective, but also more importantly, from from my view as a psychologist around actually making people better at their jobs, like helping to develop them so they perform better. Charlie, what's your perspective on that? It's really interesting hearing Jess talk about, you know, from a psychologist's point of view, what's a good way to manage performance? Because a lot of the things that she's talking about as ways to improve it, so setting goals, regular check-ins, leaning in with more support and training, that's obviously a good way to try and make sure that you're monitoring people's performance and make sure that you are helping people achieve their best performance. But it's also laying the groundwork to enable you to take action if it's not coming up to scratch. And that's what's often missing when we get managers coming to us for advice saying, I would really like to get rid of this person because they are terrible at their job. When you start to unpack it, essentially, they've been doing that job for 12 years. And they're sort of saying to you that they've been terrible at that job for 12 years. And then you're starting from a standing point of having to start quite a long process. If you wanted to kind of look to manage that person out of the business fairly. And also, from a practical moral point of view, you've missed the opportunity to be fair to that person, to be clear about what they weren't doing well and to give them a chance to perform. And they often wait until the ship has sailed to sort of start having these conversations, which, which just seems like a waste. So thank you, Jess and Charlie. That's all we've got time for this morning. Really appreciate you joining us. I hope listeners found that as an interesting conversation as I did. A lot for us to think about there. If you do want further information, there's lots of material on our website, which you can find the link for in our show notes. There's also a link there for more information about Culture Amp. 
so do go to our website or get in contact directly with Charlie or I or of course with Jess if you're interested in knowing more about Culture Amp and we look forward to speaking to you again soon.